Welcome to the Energy Fellows podcast, where each episode is designed to share expertise and experiences from U.S. and global energy fellows. They provide direction and possible solutions for ultimate journey results. Here's your host, Mark Stansberry. Enabling best-in-class customer experience and operational excellence in a hyper-connected oil and gas world, TCS prioritizes problem-solving and leverages customer insights to drive real business results. To find out more, go to TCS.com. That's TCS.com. Welcome to another episode of the Energy Fellows Podcast. I'm Mark Stansbury, your host. And we have a reoccurring guest and the first time to do this on the Energy Fellows, and it's with a great friend. A great friend of the energy industry, uh, very knowledgeable, and he's great at sharing what he uh, has found out in the energy sector, as well as the associations he's involved with and so forth. And it's David A. Guest with Guest Petroleum. Welcome, David. Good day to you today, Mark. It's uh, wonderful to speak with you. Well, it's always great to visit with you. And you're very, when I say knowledgeable, you keep up with events. You keep up with what's going on in the energy industry. You're at the state capitol. I guess say you get around. <laughs> so it's really wonderful to have the dialogue. And I'm glad to have you back. I hope to, like say, when we first started this at the end, of the actually at the end of the podcast with you, I really wanted to emphasize that we want you back to keep us up to date with what you know, because that's very important as well as a recurring guest as well. So David A. Guest, Guest Petroleum. David, we'll start off really wherever you want to begin, but I think it'd be great to hear about what's ahead in Oklahoma. I know the legislature is about to get underway and things like that are underway. So if you will uh, tell us ahead for Oklahoma, but also not only Oklahoma, but regionally, Texas and nationally, whatever you have, you can furnish us. We'd like to keep up to date. And then also from a legislative standpoint, also the calendar. And then I know you have some other energy and issues that we can share. And I know we'll go back and forth on this as to what's going on. So it's yours to talk about. Well, thank you, Mark, and appreciate the introduction. Speaking of Oklahoma, we had our inauguration Monday of this week and inaugurated several statewide officials, new corporation commissioner, Kim Davids, former senator from eastern Oklahoma. So we do have some new officials, new attorney general, new secretary of state. So I'll go ahead and lead off with some Oklahoma information and start with an organization that's very dear to me and I think to you as well, and that's Oklahoma NARO which right. is the Oklahoma chapter of the National Association of Royalty Owners. NARO is committed to educating their membership, which is made up of mineral and royalty owners, not only in Oklahoma, the mid-continent, throughout the United States, and we even have members across the world residing on it. When we did a mailing list for the Oklahoma newsletter, we had several people in, in England that we had to mail to in Australia. So members all over the world. To Oklahoma NARO, starting off the year, Educational topic, we're going to do a webinar on February 1st, 11.30 a.m. Central Standard Time. The topic is diving into division orders. And as we know in the industry, in order to get paid for the production of oil and gas, we typically have to sign a division order listing our name, address, and tax identification numbers. So two attorneys out of Oklahoma City, Edmund Area, Reagan Bradford, and Ryan Wilson are going to be the moderators of this webinar. It's going to be an overview and then terms of division orders and law, especially applicable to Oklahoma. And again, that's going to be a webinar February 1st to 2023, 11.30 a.m. Central Standard Time. More information, registration, listeners can go to narous.org. Let me repeat that, narrow, N-A-R-O hyphen 
us.org. And again, they can get the information from there and register for that. It's free for members. Everybody's welcome to join Oklahoma Nero, whether negligible and keep up to date on your what's going on in Oklahoma. Yes, I'm glad you're mentioning that. And the dates as well, because the dates are, I don't know sometimes because of the production when it will be aired, but the good part about it is if it's aired past the February 1st date, you always go to the websites that David's mentioning, and I'm sure there's probably ways to see the webinar or to get information about the webinar and things like that. So I appreciate all this information because it's really, especially the websites and the information is provided. So please continue, David. Thank you, Mark. And moving on to another Oklahoma organization that I'm involved with, the Oklahoma Energy Producers Alliance. We're going to be having our energy briefing to the new members of the Oklahoma legislature and the returning members. They'll be here on January 23rd. That may be past the airtime for the podcast, but this is an educational outreach effort for, again, the new members, newly elected members from back in November, trying to educate them on the issues and concerns of the oil and gas industry in Oklahoma, how we can work with them and how we can answer their questions. That's going to be at Oklahoma Capitol in room 535, and the public is welcome to attend that. Information on that, I'll wait to give that URL, because the next item on the OEPA agenda is our annual meeting, where our members come together for education and networking. Wonderful event. Be held in Oklahoma City, March 24th at the Embassy Suites. I call it the Oklahoma City Medical District. They're on North Phillips off of Lincoln Boulevard. Again, that'll be the OK Energy Producers Alliance annual meeting, March 24th, 2023. And the website for more information or to register for that event is okenergyproducers.org. And again, we welcome anyone to attend and join that organization. Well, it's for producers, not just only operators, but non-operating working interest partners and royalty owners as well. That's fabulous. As far as energy, any other energy conferences or anything on the national level as well that we need to know about as far as the calendar? Mark, I'm pretty well limited Oklahoma. I'm doing well to do my volunteerism <laughs> in Oklahoma. So You're doing great. I don't have anything nationally. I, I Well, on the national level, you've already covered that. National Association of Royalty Owners, which covers several states. So that's a good place to go when it comes to uh, national as far as any legislation that's coming ahead, as far as Oklahoma? There are several items of interest this year, especially, and I'm going to circle back to the national front. I do monitor through other organizations, such as the National Stripper Well Association. I'm a member of that. do have a lobbyist in D.C., wonderful lobbyist up there, Chris Kearney. Monitoring the issue with the Energy Department, the EPA, as well as the administration's concerns and rules and regulations concerning methane emissions across uh, the United States. That's a big concern right now for climate change situation, as well as for producers trying to monitor those emissions and get a handle on how to, one, monitor and how to mitigate those emissions. You know, typically, Producers want to sell the production, but on occasion, we do have those emissions that come off the tanks through vents and you know, apparatus such as that. So there's rules coming along through the pike from the EPA, the Energy Department, and the administration on further 
monitoring and mitigation of methane emissions across the country. We're following that pretty close because those rules have come out. There are some standards coming forth and fees and licensing requirements for payment for excess emissions. So, like I said, that's on a national level. We're starting to discuss that at a state level because those federal relations trickle down to the state level. So trying to address those. And there has been funds appropriated through the Inflation Reduction Act. I think it's actually the Infrastructure Act from the administration. There's money coming to states throughout the country to plug orphaned and abandoned wells. And key item is that tied to those federal funds are requirements for methane monitoring or methane emissions. That's something that we're following on the state level. Are you seeing anything on ESG? Keeps coming up on Forest TV cast, uh, reading about it. Is that being more emphasized or less emphasized now than you saw, you know, even a few months ago? I would say it is still emphasized. I have not seen anything from the, we have a new attorney general here in Oklahoma, Gettner Drummond, attorney out of Osage County. Wonderful gentleman, met him on several occasions. He's a fireball. Right. So I've not asked Gettner his position on ESG. I know they're, for the smaller producers, we don't directly impacted by ESG, maybe the financial institutions that we deal with. If you do have some maybe loan relationships, you might be impacted. Typically, it's the public stock companies, the bigger companies, you know, the Devons, Ovenis, Marathon, those big corporate public stock companies that have to comply with ESG requirements when they're dealing with their financial institutions and investors. Several states, I know there's been a couple of attorney generals that have written letters to their treasurers. I'm sure you probably had guests discuss the topic about how the state treasurers have sent letters to the companies that are making their mutual funds divest of companies, of fossil fuel companies, how those are affecting returns and taking those investment funds, those fossil fuel companies, not allowing those companies to be in those mutual fund companies that are then reinvested by the state's public tax money. That's kind of a conflict of interest. So I guess to answer your question, Mark, I have not heard directly from our attorney general or our state treasurer as far as a public release on trying to get a firm answer on ESG requirements or trying to ease those requirements. What do you see as far as workforce development? Are we finding enough individuals to work or do we need more education opportunities? What's the status from your perspective about our workforce? Well, I think we touched on the workforce in our last uh, communication. Again, I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you today. There was a release in the last uh, week, I believe the energy service sector has an employment of 565,000 people as reported in December, which was up, I think, 5,000 service workers, which is a good thing that we do have more people involved in the energy service sector. Those are the people out in the field, those are on the drilling rigs, on the fracking crews, on the pipeline. So to see an increase in that number is good. Overall, the employment situation that we've discussed is still a kind of a challenge to bring the young people into the industry because it's you know hard work, long hours, out the weather, not a lot of fun times in the winter and hot summer. So, you know, I think as we discussed previously, I'm a big believer in VOTEC education, you know, in preparation of our talk today. I looked at some of the VOTEC areas around the mid continent area. I like to push the Oklahoma 
Vo Technical System, which is now called Career Tech. You know, in my research, I found, you know, we have always said that Oklahoma has the number one career tech system in the nation. And my research has kind of pretty well confirmed that. Votech colleges in Kansas, there are seven. Texas, there are 661 private and public vocational and business colleges. That's, you know, that's a huge number, but those are mainly private companies, educational companies. New Mexico has 20 public and private. Louisiana has 44 private and public. Oklahoma has 29 state technology centers distributed on 59 campuses. And those technologies centers, you know, they help educate and train our welders, which we need in the oil and gas industry, electricians. They also teach you know, electric linemen, vital not just oil and gas, but to the country as a whole. They also teach diesel technology, truck driving. We need truck drivers in the oil field, computer science, information support. Also, wind turbine technicians. We have that in our Votech system here in Oklahoma. You like to talk about all energy sources, and I apologize right. for that. So once again, you know, we do have the wind turbine technician as a class, as a educational module. I'll even throw out something last night that I found. We teach auctioneering at one of our Votechs. So whenever I retire, Mark, I may go back and take the auctioneering class. <laughs> well, that'd be wonderful. I remember seeing you in action on the side of a bidding in the past. So be on the other side of the auction that would be interesting for sure. The attitude, we've always talked about attitude, but you know, it's 2023, so I might as well ask again. Where are we in 2023 on attitude in the industry? Well, we've had kind of a collapse in commodity prices here in the last 60 days. So that's kind of a Kind of a setback, I would say, to our mindset. But overall, I think we're still optimistic and enthusiastic about moving forward on projects and prospects for exploration. Rig count has remained steady. Something that I have read is that even though our drilling rigs have stayed steady, completions have increased slightly, but production is having a hard time keeping up even with the new drilling. So I'm not an economist, so I'm just kind of confused by Commodity prices, I realize it's a worldwide demand, but it seems that we're producing equal or less than what we have been, yet the prices continue to fall, typically because of demand. But if you don't mind, I'll throw out some future prices here from uh, please do some of the uh, people that I follow. For futures price in Oklahoma, or for oil, crude oil, their 2023 price average is $75.29. Cents. 2024 is $72 and 2025 is 68. So I appreciate their statistics and their opinions, but I hope we see a little increase rather than decrease. And natural gas outlook, their forecast 2023 is $3.62. 2024 is just under $4, but they do bump 2025 up to about 415. So I don't know if those are sustainable for investment at that price. It certainly be questionable for me, but I think overall the Industry, I think, is still optimistic. We have to have oil. We have to have natural gas. And that kind of leads me to another comment that I had written down here. And the oil demand is expected to rise to record levels in 2024, not just for fuel consumption, but that's going to be driven by the use of plastics. And that's Mm -hmm. pretty much applicable to the production of EV vehicles. So I found that a little interesting that the actual fuel demand will be less, but the total overall oil demand will be increased due to the increased need for plastics and the development of EVs and batteries. Well, efficiency is so important because what you've just described could change overnight. You know, we look at 
China, geopolitical, uh, as far as other countries as well, and even our own demand. And the use, like you mentioned, of the plastics, where there's electric vehicles and so forth. We've got a challenge ahead to make sure we streamline things, which I think we've got a good handle on that through the last several years. I think the, especially the oil and gas industry has really tried to be careful to definitely, when it comes to expenditures, making sure that every penny counts. And I see that that's so vitally important, but it's also important to have a good workforce in place and have the attitude going forward. So we're in challenging times, of course. With that, there's the certainty that demand's going to be there for quite some time, and it depends on how much demand. But to have supply, we have to go out and definitely explore and expand our reach. So that will be the challenge ahead as well. I really appreciate you, David, for one thing about David, if you're working on projects or like a book or film or whatever, David is so supportive, and I appreciate your support when the book came out, America Needs America's Energy and Its Natural Resources. You've been very supportive of that. I appreciate that. And also the recent film that came out, the documentary, Sherwood Forest Top Secret. That's just another avenue of getting information about our history, as well as where we are currently as well, as far as the book and then the history of the past and how vital our industry is. And you might elaborate more about the history, not just about the film by any means, but more of where Oklahoma has been. You mentioned NARO, OER, I guess OEPA, and there's other organizations like OERB and others that have been very influential. But you may have somebody out there that you can think of that kind of led the way, maybe more than one through your years that helped get the history to the forefront. That's an excellent question, but I want to compliment you as uh, you were the executive producer of Sherwood Forest. Amazing docufilm. I think you and Gray did an excellent job. I encourage everyone to look at that film just under an hour in length, so it doesn't take up a lot of time, but it is packed full of information, historic information, as I've shared with you privately that my wife's comment after watching the docufilm regarding the effort of not just the Oklahomans that went over to help that effort to drill in Sherwood Forest, but those roughnecks that they pulled out of you know, Illinois, Louisiana, Wyoming, that went over with the crews with Lloyd Noble's Drilling Company. Right. As my wife said, that is a feat that will never be repeated in history. Right. It saved us all. No question. Save the world. Generations ahead. Save the free yeah. world. So Generations thank ahead. you for Benefited. being the executive producer of that yeah. docufilm. Well, Ray did a wonderful job as a uh, producer. Well, thank you. Thank you as so far much. As You're always supportive. History effect on me. I would have to ponder that question, Mark. I'm a big proponent of history. I hate to be, if we don't learn from history, we're doomed to repeat it. So I think there's many, many people, men and women, private sector, public sector, that have contributed to the development of the energy industry, not just Oklahoma, but the entire United States. Uh, you know, I'm just confused talking about the West Coast, specifically California and some of their energy policies. If we look back in the history and the development of energy and specifically oil in America, California was a major producer in oil and gas. Uh, I believe it's still probably, it used to be number three oil producer. That's right. right. Mark, you can correct me on that. I'd say they're still in the top five as oil producers, but yet they turn their back on oil and natural gas. Even though they're a big oil producer, they still have to import 40% of their energy, despite their efforts in solar, wind, and internal oil and gas production. They still have to import from other states 40% mm-hmm. of their energy industry or their That's right. energy that they use. To me, I would think that'd be a, be a wake-up call. Uh, I'm going to kind of transition on you and 
something that I've read here lately about U.S. government money and whether going to put investments in in 2023. Top two, number one is electricity, is to replace and to update electrical grid systems throughout the country. And number two is nuclear. Specifically, the Armed Services Committee is very focused on nuclear energy. Even anti-nuke Democrats like Congressman Garamendi out of California is on board with nuclear energy projects. So hopefully people are warming back up to nuclear energy as you've espoused in your book. I think you called it a manuscript, kind of a manuscript and a monograph, huh? Right. Wonderful treatise on all energy, you know, electric, natural gas, oil, nuclear, coal. We need a mix of everything, but I think with everybody's concern about methane emissions and such and oil and gas being dirty, that we need to refocus on nuclear. So apparently, you know, the government is maybe going to try and ramp that back up. Again, so turning back to electricity in the future, but to help produce electricity, we still need natural gas. Natural gas, I think, contributes what 60% of electricity. Coal used to be number one, but coal has dropped. Hydro and then natural gas, solar and wind is a smaller percentage of that. Combined solar and wind is what 11, 12%. Correct. We see the uh, challenges ahead. We can't overnight shut down by any means the oil and gas industry because you just mentioned natural gas for electricity and fertilizer. I'll add to that and some other things as well. And then you take oil, just the petroleum-based products alone, uh, the petrochemicals, so forth. Uh, it's just amazing. Our industry, the oil and gas industry, has done such so much. And I agree with you on the history. There's so many men and women, and I look at it from a standpoint, that have driven our industry in not just oil and gas, but other sectors, all the sectors you mentioned, and other sectors in the energy industry, that it's a 24-7. It's not a matter of going to work from 8 to 5. It's a continual operation, day by day, 24-7, all kinds of weather, all kinds of events that take place. And they're there, whether it's a refinery or the gas plant or in the field drilling or buying leases or looking at geology. They're all heroes, as far as I'm concerned. So the history to get us to this point is probably, you know, one or two individuals or three or four that I can think of on an individual basis. But it's the big picture is the historical value, like what we saw in Sherwood, where uh, someone like Lord Noble, at his own expense, sends um, young men to England to help save America and the world and send roughnecks. And I think those are the kinds of heroic efforts that we see even today because of all the weather. And those that are leading have to fight the battles of maintaining good legislation, the regulations that are in front of us. So are there some other things you would like to discuss today that you've done some research on or anything that you would like to add to today's program? Well, first of all, I would make a quick mention. Currently in the news, the price in the U.S. are egg prices, putting pressures on consumers and the price of food. Right. It's just that egg prices are and all food is being affected by the cost of feed, fuel, and labor. Mm-hmm. Personal examples of a friend in the southwest part of the states selling cattle at the auctions you know, due to the cost of feed and the cost of labor, lack of moisture, lack of grass. So that's going to be continuing pressure on the food cost for consumers in the U.S. I think that everyone needs to be aware that food prices are not going to be going down anytime soon increased pressure on in the cost, like I said, feed, fuel, and labor. I think that's something that we need to be concerned about. I will throw a challenge out to you, Mark, or maybe a topic for someone else, because this is not my expertise, but you're talking about energy being a 24-7 effort, day and night, 
all weather types. Something we need to be concerned, something to be thinking about is the use of AI or artificial intelligence in energy development, exploration, production. So, you know, that's the big buzzword today is AI. I think that should be something that should be embraced by the energy industry. Like I said, I am not an expert on that, but even I see that as a game changer going forward for energy production and success and energy development and keeping prices at a consumer level for energy. I agree what you're saying. I am not an expert in that area as well. I have given a talk over time for several years on digital transformation, what was called digital transformation from the whiteboard to the boardroom. And part of that talk was on AI, but also on uh, robotics and some other things that are in front of us. I just interviewed someone recently about robotics, and it's going to be a big part of the energy industry. And so I know of one location where people are concerned, well, robotics will take the place or AI will take my place in the business. And it's interesting to find that there are one company I know of that wound up keeping their employees, been able to use them in a better way and still use the efforts of robotics. So we're in a new frontier and it's a great one to be in. The future of energy depends on us, depends on all of us. And thank you, David, for being on today's show. I hope you'll tune in for upcoming episodes of the Energy Fellows. Thank you, David. Thank you. Join us again next week on the Energy Fellows Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.